skeptical about custom beauty, honestly, y'all, I totally get it. My feed is flooded with customize this and personalize that, all promising, you know, to fix all of our beauty, hair, and skin problems. Truthfully, I was so skeptical when I saw this brand, but I'm a total believer now. When pros says custom, they actually mean it. Their products are no gimmicks, and your formula couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with unique blends of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. And they get personal. Pros covers everything from your concerns to diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. Did you know, for example, that Minneapolis has like weirdly hard water, which apparently was affecting my hair? So like some of the ingredients that they put into my hair care was to like deal with the fact that we have hard water. Wow. I love that. They also asked me things like, you know, because I have had a baby recently, like, am I still breastfeeding? What are my hair goals? And I also really appreciated they asked like, how much effort do you want to put into your hair? Yeah, <laughs> because like I'm at the point, you know, I used to let, yeah, I used to do those, you know, put effort into my appearance, but now it's like, I just want to be able to walk out of the door without feeling self-conscious. Um, I, this is truly such a genuine endorsement. So I've really enjoyed using these products. But don't just take our word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised control clinical trial, this is like the gold standard of all of these trials, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash just break up. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash just break up for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas, pros.com slash just break up. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like taking things maybe too slow <laughs> when you're both the toxic one in a relationship. And mourning somebody who's still there. Mm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health practitioners. We didn't go to school for this. We're not we professionals. We didn't. We read some books maybe, but like. But o- not... only for like our own self gain. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, like right. to deal with our own shit. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. Not everybody yep. else's. So we are mm-hmm. not qualified to deal with your shit. So please take our advice <laughs> as you see fit. We're just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully set some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. Because let's face it, you know, the best thing when we're going through a hard time is to know that like other people understand it and have maybe felt the same thing. Mm, Even if, mm -hmm. even if they are not qualified and don't have any good advice. (laughs) For sure. And often we don't know what you're going through, but we listen. Yeah. (laughs) We at least see you in in whatever you're going through. This is all true. Lovely, lovely start (laughs) to this episode. All right, Sam, what's the check-in topic this week? Okay. Our check-in topic is inspired by a letter writer 
uh, who is the worst ghost buster is the name name that they went under. Super cute. Um, And basically they, um, they were like, listen, I've been on these dating apps for a long time. I'm sort of matching with a bunch of people. And then I like ghost or I get ghosted, right? Like the conversation just sort of dies out and I never hear from them again. Um, And I don't want to be like the person that like double, double texts, you know, like does a double message, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and it's like, understandably that feeling of like, I don't want to have to pull people's teeth to get them to talk to me. Yeah. Um, And one of the things that they say too is like, you know, I used to really feel like a catch. Like I used to consider myself as like a hot commodity, but like the fact that I keep having these dead end conversations with all these people is making me doubt that. Yeah. And so, um, we thought this would be a great question to talk about because um, I think a lot of people probably resonate with it. I know that yeah. I did when I was yeah. on those dating apps. I've like, been peeping on oof. some conversations happening in our Facebook private group. And a lot of mm. people are feeling like the dead endness of dating apps and how like the culture of dating apps is really challenging. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, this is a great check in topic because I think it's resonating, especially in fall. You know, you want to you want to cuddle. <laughs> um, people are feeling like dating apps are 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 not resulting in anything positive. So mm. thank you for writing um, the worst ghost buster. And we're sorry that you're having this bad luck. Um, I think what I want to bring to the table is a conversation about the culture of dating apps. Uh you know, they are presented to us as ways to find people, ways to make connections. But the culture in practice is, I think, one of like a a little bit of voyeurism, like likes to put yourself out there, like, you know, like who's who's connecting with you, not in a not in a negative way, but just like sometimes people get on those apps just to just to play window shop. Yeah. To window shop. Exactly. Um, so that that's going on a little bit, but also there's the thing that I experienced was like this unspoken perpetual game of chicken (laughs) where it was like, (laughs) I'm going to match. Oh my God. I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to swipe on this person because they're really cute. Oh my God. They swiped on me too. We both think we're cute. Now who's going to fucking message, (laughs) you know? Mm. And then maybe, maybe you guys do, maybe you do message back and forth, but then it's like, Who's going to say, do you want to meet up or tell me more about yourself? Who's going to do that double message? And I wanted to just bring that to the table so that people like the worst Ghostbuster, our letter writer, just like maybe remind themselves with a little gentleness. It's not that you are being rejected at your core. It's sort of the culture that these apps have mm-hmm. fostered and, and promoted, which is this sort of window shopping, this this uh, substitute for connection. You think you're making connection, but it's not really because you have to, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, there's a lot of stepping outside of our comfort zone that we have to do even through screens, you know, even on something so disconnected as a dating app. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's like sort of feigned intimacy or feigned vulnerability, right? Like this idea of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go on these apps and then, and then you don't have to do any work. Like that's the, the long and the short of it you can just go on there and then like swipe with people and then sort of just like get this constant stream of like, Oh, this person is interested. This person is interested. This person swiped. And it's like, maybe that's the only pleasure you're seeking from this app. It's just like that validation. And I think that's actually like how a lot of people do it because 
I think that the next step, right, that conversation step requires more vulnerability. And if there's an endless sort of slew of people who are going to validate you in the easiest way over and over again, there's like not a whole lot of incentive unless you are like wanting to be really vulnerable and really like put yourself out there yeah. to have deep, deeper conversations with people on those apps, right? Like it's, it's designed in a, like a game, like a candy crush or something yes, Totally. where it's just like this sort of constant sort of um, pleasure thing is enacted in you as you're like, oh, I matched with someone that means they like me. Oh, but like the actual work of like talking to people the can be really challenging. Rejected. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I don't want to like, I don't want to cast dispersions about people who are doing that on apps because I know that I've done it. And I know that like the challenge of intimacy is hard. Yeah. Right? And that's, that can be People might not even be aware that like that's what they're doing on the apps, which well, is all how to it say feels to the other side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is all to say that like we don't know other people's experiences of the apps. We don't know why they're doing the things that they're doing. We can easily tell ourselves a narrative that is that it's because we are uniquely awful and we are being rejected solely. Right. Like, yeah, we're the only one facing this rejection over and over again. Um, but like that's. That's really not it. We don't know why people are engaging in the ways that they're engaging. And like, it doesn't really have anything to do with us so often, right? Yeah. And it so often has everything to do with the other person and how willing they are to engage in it as, as yeah. well. And it, and sometimes it is us because I was just sitting here thinking, picturing the last time I was on dating apps, um, which has, it was several years ago, but um, I... I remember like matching with people and then they wouldn't message me. And I'm like, why would you match with me? You know, like I would be frustrated with their silence, but I wasn't the messaging them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's, like, let's... Exactly. Not that I didn't. I definitely leaned into those vulnerability once in a while, but like, it's, it's kind of like, um, sometimes like overload, you know, it's like, it's like you match with people mm -hmm. and then you're like, why did I do that? You know, it can be it's vulnerable, you know, even if it's for it fun. Is. And but I do remember being like, um, why would you even match with me if you don't want to message me? Meanwhile, over here, I'm like, my thumbs are freezing and falling off and yeah. not texting anybody, you know. <laughs> um, but that's also to say to our letter writer and to anybody out here who's feeling that sort of dead endness, um, I would say, fuck it, be that double messenger. Like, what I know that our pride is at stake and I know that it can be really vulnerable and like make you feel like, oh my, you know, like the old saying of if they wanted to, they will. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. I think that you should definitely double message, especially the people who you were having the start to a, 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 a genuine conversation with. There's nothing wrong with, with being the, the person who says, so how has your week been? Or are you interested in meeting up for coffee sometime, you know, in a safe mm -hmm. way or a drink? You know, I, I, somebody who felt a little timid, even though I'm like generally extroverted on dating apps, didn't know how to like put my desires out there or my interests out there. I'd, I would have appreciated that. I would have probably let some conversations die out because I didn't know how to, you know, because, because mm -hmm. it's weird because online dating is, you know, at its core, uh, isolating and 
unnatural at times, you know, and challenging. So double message. No, absolutely. And I think also get off the app as quickly as possible too, right? Like that's always been like my advice is like meet the person. And I know that we oh, get like you, letters you, from people who are like... you don't mean like delete the app. You mean meet no. up in person. Yes. Meet up in person. And we get letters from folks who are like red flag. They add, they wanted to meet up really quickly. And I'm like, I that's not a red flag to me. Like mm. it is so difficult to make human connections through a screen and wow. just like texting each other. Like... I don't think you have to be like, let's meet up and get married. But like, yeah, I, I think that there's something we have to remember that like before dating apps, like coffee was low stakes, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Going to like going for a walk in a park was like not a big commitment. So the idea of like meeting up in person, because listen, we know hey. this about people's brains, right? We know that we read people like it's like the majority of our understanding of people comes from things that are not the words that come out of our mouths, right? Like (laughs) it is body language. It is like people's like smells, like literally it is, it is so much more than just like we're connecting because of the words that we're saying. And like text is, it's so hard to infer tone. Like everything about it is just so out of practice for us like and is so like ill-adaptive to how we actually make connections with people that like meeting people in person is actually going to be super helpful for you (laughs) in terms of like whether or not you like people because like let me tell you spending hours on those apps being like hey what's up like how is your day what are you up to right like did not make any connection um, and that's why every time I was like, Hey, let's meet up. Let's like go to, let's go get a drink after like, I don't know, 20 minutes of texting because it was like, I can't, I can't make, I can't understand who you are as a person via the text that you're sending. Me. Yeah. I wish I did that more because although I totally hear the people who are exhausted by, um, dead end first dates, I see those as great opportunities to practice your boundaries, practice, um, uh, empowering yourself, you know, articulating your needs. Not that that stuff very often comes out in a first date, but just like, you know, for me, I have that chronic fear of rejecting someone, but I think it would be really good for me to go on a bunch of first dates to practice saying the words. I had a lot of fun. I don't really see a romantic future for us. Mm. I hope, you know, like, Thanks. Anyway, and also See, I still hearing, I don't even know what to say. And hearing and also it. hearing those words too. Yeah, right? totally. Like, I loved first dates because I am very interested in people, and it's like I just love the opportunity to like learn about somebody, even mm-hmm. if it doesn't turn into totally. something. Totally. But that's how I had to view it too. Is that it's like, oh, this isn't this isn't necessarily the like potential of a lifetime together, but instead, right. like, what are the stakes here? Which is that like I'm gonna go meet this person. And we're going to talk about ourselves and our lives and like connect and see how things go. Right. Yeah. And then it and then when it didn't work out, it didn't become devastating because the expectations or my goal in that was just to meet this person. Yeah. Right. Not to not to like find the love of my life, but just to like engage with this person and learn more about them. Yeah. So that when when it became a dead end, it was just like, well, I still met my goal, which was just to meet them and get to know them and see if I liked them. <laughs> right. Like, I love that. 
Yeah. And this is not to say, before we wrap up, this is not to say that it's not like deeply tiring on like a soul sure. level to constantly have to put yourself out there only to be ghosted or rejected or to have a bad first date again and again. We know the exhaustion of th- that. We see it in your letters right. and in your Facebook comments and stuff like that. But thus is intimacy. The, you know, this is vulnerability mm-hmm. is is allowing the world to disappoint us and showing up again and again. Um, yeah. So we, we see you in all that and uh, we hope that helps. You want to get into the first letter? Let's do it. Okay. This is from patient, but frustrated whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from New York city. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Oh man, do I love your podcast. You've helped me grow so much. And I recommend you to all my friends. Here's the story that I would love your input on. I'm a 32-year-old woman, she, her, and for the past six months, I've been dating a really wonderful man. Let's call him Luke. He's incredibly kind, thoughtful, smart, funny, reliable, respectful, hardworking, a good friend, loves his family. The list goes on. He's also really hot and our politics align. What? Like, honestly, I feel like I found a unicorn. He's just such a good one, and we're building a strong foundation that I'm excited about. Nothing is perfect, though, right? Here's where things get a little complicated. He was raised in a conservative, very religious household. Several years ago, he left the church he grew up in. This has caused some tension within his family, but he maintained healthy boundaries around that and seems to be navigating the stickiness of that situation as well as possible. He no longer ascribes to any of the beliefs of of that church and feels that his decision to leave and to be true to himself was the right one. I'm proud of him for making that very difficult decision. While my family was not extremely religious, I was raised Catholic, and I, too, felt very uncomfortable with the confines of that culture as I'm pansexual and was made to feel a lot of shame about that. So while I don't understand what it's like to grow up in an ultra-religious family, we do have a bit of common ground as far as feeling trapped and shamed within an institution that was not willing to welcome our whole selves. However, in his religion, he was taught that the only sin worse than sex before marriage was murder. Murder. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> he had, that is intense. <laughs> <laughs> he had a couple truly awful experiences as a child when he was caught doing normal, innocent middle school stuff like making out with his with his girlfriend and was berated and very publicly shamed for it. It makes me so sad and angry even thinking about the idea of trusted adults doing that to him. While he no longer ascribes to those beliefs and actually never did in the first place, he still has a lot of issues around sex and physical intimacy. Of course, I do not blame him one bit, and I've been glad to take things slow. In fact, in a lot of ways, I think it's been great because we've had the opportunity to get to know each other really well before adding sex into the equation. I've never done that before, and I'm finding it's kind of nice to have some emotional intimacy first. It's been about six months now, and things aren't moving forward physically. We only make out, and I'm starting to get frustrated. Here's the thing, though. While I've always considered myself a pretty sexual person, this relationship has prompted me to realize that the vast majority of my sexual experiences were initiated by my partners. I enthusiastically participated in these experiences, but it turns out I'm used to being more of a follower and not a leader in sexual interactions. To be clear, I do not think this needs to be a deal breaker, and I really do want to work through it, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Neither do we. (laughs) I'm not particularly (laughs) shy about sex, but I do have some hangups about my body, and I can see now that 
feeling actively desired slash pursued by my partner is an important part of my sexual process. I feel that. I've kind of weakly attempted to talk to Luke about this, but it's been hard because I truly don't want to make him feel ashamed or embarrassed about his lack of experience or hesitance. At the same time, it's starting to feel like the elephant in the room. I've never dated someone this long without having a sexual relationship with them. And I'm beginning to feel as though at this point, I'm not being true to myself anymore. He's so hot. I'm so attracted to him. And I know he's attracted to me too. And I badly want the physical part to move forward. Sex is not the most important thing in a relationship to me, but it is a big deal. I think we can get there, and I don't believe this is a genuine incompatibility. I'm viewing it more as an awkward hurdle we need to move past. Is this correct, or do you think this is really a true incompatibility? I'm really hoping it isn't because everything else is just so great. How do I approach this topic in a productive, kind way? I doubt yelling, oh my God, please have sex with me, is the thing to do here, but I'm getting... A tiny bit desperate. Do either of you lovely people have suggestions for a script I can use or maybe some resources about this? Any wisdom or laughs or advice you can provide would be so appreciated. Thank you again so much for all that you do. XOXO, patient but frustrated. Thank you so much for writing, patient but frustrated. Um, I love your letter. You charming, charming person. Um, I'm sorry you're experiencing this. Um, I'm so glad you're in a great relationship. And I love how understanding and compassionate you are to your boyfriend's lived experience and his boundaries. And it sounds like you are doing all the right mental labor to, you know, acknowledge and respect your own needs while respecting his boundaries and his timeline as well. So good job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm thankful that this um, has also offered you an opportunity to learn more about yourself and your yeah. own um, your own relationship to sex as well. And sort of that examination that you're doing around, you know, having your partners always initiated and how difficult it can be to sort of take charge in it um, and ask for what you want and what you need. Mm-hmm. Like as frustrating as the situation is, um, it seems like there are things that you're taking away from it that um, may be helpful to you both in this situation and in, in future situations as well. Right, right. Totally. I think that, just to get straight to the point, um, I don't think that this is, like you said, a incompatibility. I don't believe that it's either. Um, but I do think that it warrants, also as you said, a pretty direct and honest and compassionate conversation and several conversations from here on out, I feel like um, mm. this is this is a perfect opportunity to practice those um, consensual check-ins. Does this feel good to you? Is this okay with you? Are you comfortable right now? How can I make you more comfortable? Do, do you like the way this feels? Um, but of course, all of those check-ins are going to come after that big, scary, potentially embarrassing conversation, which is, hi, I really like you. I really let, love our relationship and I'm interested in seeing it um, move forward in terms of physical intimacy. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. sort of what it, in, I'm interested in your take, Sam, but it sounds like they haven't had, they might be having those nonverbal conversations, you know what I mean? But it sounds <laughs> like they, it sounds like they haven't had um, an actual conversation about like what their sexual timelines are or their sexual com- comfortabilities, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think that that's a conversation that we can be that can be hard for us to have for sure if we're not practiced in it. Um, but I do think this is an opportunity for you to really talk about what some of your sexual needs and desires are. Um, like doing sort of that sort of self-reflective practice of like, what are you looking for? Are you looking for somebody who can take charge? Are you looking for somebody who is going to demonstrate how attracted they are to you by telling you, by showing you, by what is the, like, what do you need from this? Um, And being really clear about that and recognizing that like you might, you might both have different approaches to sex and that there might be ways that you can find some middle ground or some place to sort of meet both of your needs at the same time. Right. Um, and, and recognizing that like we, these conversations only become less awkward when we have more of them, <laughs> right? Like, yes, like yes. It's Absolutely the practice true. of it that makes it less uncomfortable. It's, it's really like, how do you get used to the fact that you're going to talk about this or that you're going to, use words or that you're going to have to like talk about what feels good right like Mm -hmm. that that only gets easier the more that we do it it only gets less awkward the more that we do it um and intentionally do it and recognizing that that's really challenging for folks and that that we don't really talk about sex especially if we're brought up in a religious institution that doesn't allow us to and shames us for it um but that's really what we have to push back against is like practicing what it means to have these conversations about sex and not get uncomfortable and and sort of embrace it. Yes. And I respect your desire to not embarrass your partner um, or make him feel shame about it. But I, that is not enough of a reason to tiptoe around this conversation for me. In fact, Mm. like you want to help liberate him from some of this shame, right? Also, there's nothing to be embarrassed about in terms of lack of experience, number one. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you can directly say to him, I think, if he shows signs of that or shares that with you. But I wouldn't necessarily assume that your partner is embarrassed about the lack of their sexual experience. I think it's like sure. a fine assumption, but like I, unless he said something to you like that, then I don't want to put words into his mouth because then it's sort of like fulfilling his fantasy that he has something to be embarrassed of, you know? Mm. Um, that's just like a little side note, but more importantly, you know, I do appreciate your desire to shield him from any discomfort, but it's kind of like, it's, The other day, Willow and I were like talking with some friends who have some children who are on the cusp of puberty and talking about like, what is it like to talk to your children pre-puberty, you know, about sex and their bodies and about masturbation Mm -hmm. and and how, especially for some of us and our parents' generations who who weren't talked to at all, who didn't get any sort of explanation of what their bodies are or can do or what feels good, you know, um, yep. how that can be really uncomfortable. And that, you know, this, does, this, this discomfort you're talking about isn't just to protect your boyfriend and isn't just to, um, isn't just because of this particular relationship. This discomfort is like a cultural one that we have with, with sex, you know, mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. with our bodies. Um, but like Sam said, just like with the puberty talk with kids and just like with our everyday adult partnerships, conversations about sex, pleasure, consent, 
timelines, things like that, our bodies only get less awkward the more we have them. We have the power to make them not awkward. You know, like when it sounds silly, but like I have just decided that that's not awkward (laughs) in my life. I've decided that I'm not going to, you know, when I have children one day and I'm, I, when I talk to them about sex and bodies, I'm just going to try to move forward into that space to liberate them from the shame that I had when I was younger, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can do the same thing in your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's not to say that like these conversations have to be uncomfortable or have to be comfortable too, right? Like, yes, yes, yes. There's sort of a fine line between it, right? Where we can, we can do the work to have the conversation, even though it's uncomfortable. We can also decide that it's not uncomfortable. Like whatever, whatever mental tips and tricks we need to do to like help us be able to have these conversations in in meaningful ways. Um, And we can do it. Right. And I think, I think the the two things I would recommend in this is to start with your own experience of what's happening. Right. So like, what are you thinking about? What are you feeling? What do you like? And then just a lot of curiosity too about, about him and his preferences and his experiences. And like Sierra said, I appreciate that you're sort of doing some, um, some assumptions, right. To say like to, to practice compassion and empathy for this person. Um, but let him tell you his story around sex and like what his hangups are so that you're not sort of imposing that on him. And then the other thing that I'll just say too, is like, it's also okay if this is a total incompatibility, right? Like Mm. it, it sucks that like he is a unicorn and is hot and is really great in all of these different ways. And it's also okay if if this sex thing Down is the, the thing right. that isn't working for you, right? It is mm-hmm. okay for you to say, like, I just need someone who can take charge in bed. Like, that is something that's really important to me. That's That's fine. You don't have to be ashamed of the things that you want or need in sex either, right? In the same way that you don't want him to be ashamed. I don't want you to feel shame around that either. So right. if you decide, like... This isn't something that's going to work. Like I just need, I need a different type of sexuality from my partner. That is okay. It's okay to decide that that's an incompatibility. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean that he's not still an amazing person in all of these different ways. Um, it just means that you're not compatible in this one yeah. way and that, that yeah. sucks. And it's okay for that to be the reality for you. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was sitting here thinking like, well, how would I approach this? in addition to everything I've already said, that conversation, like I'm interested in like moving this forward. I love that Sam reminded us of that curiosity piece that that in these conversations, we have to speak with I sentences and then be really listened to ask, really willing to listen and ask questions, you know, Mm open-minded, like I want to understand you and I want to meet you where you're at. But I was just sitting here imagining like, I think there's something sexy, especially if this relationship is, um, ready, if your partner's ready to move to the next physical um, step is to say, you know, after this conversation or mid conversation, you can say something like, um, we don't have to move fast. Um, I'm, we can take one step at a time. Like, would you be okay if I gave you oral, you know, would you be okay? Would you be interested in receiving that? Um, mm-hmm. Because I would love to ch- see how that feels for you as a first step or something like that. And I think it's like sexy and fun and, and pay, you know, consensual and patient and, and you can see where that goes, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe, 
And and maybe, you know, if your partner does express anxiety or insecurity about taking those next steps, you can just say, um, we only have to do one thing at a time. We can we can we can cross off that checklist one thing at a time and stay on different we stay in different like levels. I don't know, sexual levels. <laughs> stay at different <laughs> comfortability levels. There we go. Um, mm-hmm. for as long as you need until we graduate to the next one, you know, but, um, have this conversation again and again, this is a weekly check-in with your partner, right? How are we feeling? Right. What are we interested in? I re- <laughs> I want to grow this inti- physical intimacy with you. How can we do that a little bit more, um, while honoring your comfortability as we move forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing too, is like, this is. Like Sierra said, this isn't one of those conversations that's like, oh, we had the one and now we're done. Yeah. Right. Like it's like, we're gonna have oh, we have sex to practice <laughs> this. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's like you have to you have to commit to doing it over and over again um, to help build again, build that practice with each other towards this shared intimacy and vulnerability of having uh, sex that works for both of you. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, my darling, we hope that this helps. Good luck. Like, we're invested in this. I want to know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, we're rooting yeah. for you, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And and for your boyfriend. Uh, thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't 
don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Our next letter comes from Psycha X, whose pronouns are she, her, and who is writing from the Midwest. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I first wanted to say that I love you both so much. I found JBU on the second or third week of airing and have been religiously hooked ever since. I'm dealing with a situation that I haven't seen reflected much in your letters. My partner, he, him, 22, and I, she, her, 22, met online three months ago. We live in the same country, but are still very far from each other and have not actually met in person yet. I've done long distance before, but we were much closer to each other, and my ex and I had gone to the same high school together, so we obviously had already met. I've never been in a relationship that was 100% online, and let me tell you, it's hard. I am so in love with this man. Yes, I know it's only been three months, but hear me out. He's incredible. He's so charming, intelligent, caring, and most importantly, he makes me feel so safe and loved. I can see a future with him, but of course, there's always a catch, right? We are both toxic as hell. Our fighting styles are pretty much exactly the same, which results in our fights lasting for days because we're both too stubborn to let the other one win. I'll indulge you both with an example. This past weekend, I had gotten upset because I felt like he wasn't making as much time to talk to me as he usually does. Could have been a quick fix type of talk, right? Not for us. We were calm for a little bit. We talked and he apologized, but I was still a little upset and was responding dry. In an attempt to fix my mood, he wanted to keep talking about the situation. That only made things worse because he said things like, well, I'd be happy and appreciative if we only got to talk for five minutes every day because any time spent with you is good, which in his head seemed like a cute thing to say, but it came off as invalidating to me because it's like he's telling me I'm not being appreciative of the time we spend talking because I'm asking for more. This made me more upset and our fighting quickly escalated into a situation where we were both being toxic and hurtful to each other on purpose and not backing down. It ended in him breaking up with me. The next day I got a text from our mutual friend saying that my boyfriend hadn't been responding to anyone and wasn't online. I told them what happened and said he might be pretty angry for a bit because of our fight and to give him some space. Later that night, he still wasn't responding to anyone. He struggles with mental health issues, so of course I started to get a little nervous and concerned. Mind you, I was also on vacation with my family during all of this and was preoccupied with that as well. I decided to reach out. I texted him and and called him a bunch of times and nothing. Finally, the next day, I get a text from him asking me to call him. I called, but I was still very hurt and upset because I I had been so incredibly worried that entire time. When you're dating someone that's so far from you, it's not like you're going to know right away if something... Uh, if something bad happened. So I was rightfully scared. He just wanted to, quote, isolate himself from everyone to clear his mind. 
it worked and he was better and ready to talk things out with me after, but I was still a wreck. I was angry at him for disappearing. I felt like it was a selfish thing to do. Like I know he needed his space and I'm glad it helped him, but he could have at least let me know he was okay. We were on the phone for hours going back and forth. He tells me I need to be more understanding and compassionate towards him when he needs space. I wanted an apology and some kind of guarantee that he wouldn't do that to me again if we got back together. Our conversation didn't resolve anything and we agreed to talk the next day. The next day was a shit show. We started texting and it turned into a massive fight. We were both so angry and unable to see why the other was upset. The insults were awful and at one point I told him he wasn't good enough for me. I obviously didn't mean it and it's killing me to know that I said that because I know how much it hurt him. He threatened to tell all of my friends how awful I was and make them cut me off so I would have nothing. We were both just in a terrible, angry state of mind. It was the most painful fight I had experienced in a very long time. I feel like most logical people would be like, okay, we are bad for each other. We both have a lot to work, a lot of work to do on ourselves, and it's better if we stay broken up, not us. We want to work things out because despite our toxic fighting styles, we make each other so happy. I don't want to be without him. We're still talking, trying to figure out how to repair a relationship after that catastrophic fight and figure out a way to prevent these god-awful fights in the future. So I guess my question is this. Do we have a future together despite not being able to handle our problems in a healthy way? I guess I'm concerned that this might just be a compatibility issue and we aren't good for each other. I don't want to say hurtful things to him when we fight, and I know he doesn't want to do the same. How can we channel this anger better when we're mad at each other and fight in a less obnoxiously toxic way? Literally any advice would be appreciated because, boy, I love this man, but I am tired. Mm. Thank you so much for writing and for being vulnerable and sharing your shit with us, you know? Showing us all the all the skeletons in the closet, as so many mm-hmm. of our letter writers do. There's a lot mm-hmm. going on in this letter, and I we wanted to address it because I think that you're at a really interesting, interesting like intersection of your life um, that you identify this toxicity, and and you can name it and point to it. And you can even say it's when I'm toxic, this is what I do, but we Mm -hmm. don't have any reins on it. We don't know. It's like you can point to it and name it, but you can't control it. And I think a lot of our listeners will relate to that, at least at different times in their life. And I know I for sure remember a stage in my life in which I just like I felt like I had no control over my emotions. I had no Mm -hmm. control over my needs. You know, like when I when my needs flared up for some reason, whether I was insecure or I was triggered or whatever, it was like they were in the driver's seat and I was like the kidnapped passenger <laughs> screaming 100%. for empathy and like um, calm and clarity. But instead, my feelings took over and um, and produced these toxic behaviors. And I also think that in the world of self-help, this intersection is a really interesting time too. When you can name these things, you can be like, I know this is toxic. Mm. Um, and a lot of us stay here. A lot of us stay in this, in this intersection and say like, I know I have these toxic traits. I can point to where mm. they came from. I can point to what triggers them. And a lot of us will create our lives around preventing those, those toxic behaviors from coming out. Like me, like, like in your letter, you say, are we wrong for each other? Or do we like, I know we have a lot of work to do, but maybe we just need to find other people. And I think a lot of us stay in this intersection and then meet partners who 
sort of let us let us stay in our toxicity, you know, who don't challenge <laughs> us in a way or whatever. Um, but uh, an important head and heart work step for me, for myself and my loved ones, is to not just be able to name the toxic traits, but to be able to change them, you know, to like put nose to grindstone, lean into that nasty shit that we all have <laughs> mm-hmm. and call ourselves out on our own BS, you know, and, and not, and, and put action behind that, that labeling that we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that can be really challenging in situations where the, the norms of the relationship have already been set up to exactly be in this type of toxicity. Right. And, um, yeah, this fight feels really familiar to me too, right? Like the, I had these types of arguments with partners in the past where it sort of like just exploded and I didn't know how to control my emotions and I didn't know, or I didn't know how to respond instead of react. And so instead just became really, really upset. And like part of that for sure was me. And part of that was also the way that my partner engaged with my feelings too right like yeah it was like a, it was like a we were burning it was a perpetual fire and we were we were giving each other I fuel and exhausting each other's fuel all at the same time um so like i want to say that like yeah there's there's self-work that needs to happen here and is there self-work that can happen here in this place um, right. because like this type of fighting and then this type of like, oh, and then when things are good, they're so good, is a type of high that we can chase in a relationship for the rest of our relationship if we want to, yes. right? Like this yeah. this sort of like big explosive fight, like people don't want to talk about those, but this type of like big explosive fight is like a, a drug. Bar, very particular type of high, <laughs> right? Yes. Like, this sort of like I'm hurting and now I get to hurt anything around me and especially yes. this person in front of me is a particular type of like vindicating righteousness that is like really intoxicating. It's oh like God. it is like nothing you will ever experience in your life. You and it, it is also like one of the most harmful things that yes. you can do to yourself and other people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like. And it's funny that like that's that is how our brains work or like the ways that the chemicals interact in our brains or whatever to like make that something that's beautiful. But I think what it it speaks to is the fact that we are all often so deeply hurt and feeling so deeply unseen by ourselves mm. and others mm. that we have to show people how much pain we're in by hurting hey, them. Right. <laughs> Got and that's real. <laughs> I yeah, get it. Like I understand real. that that's. That's the impulse, and that doesn't actually make us feel like doesn't solve the the underlying issue, right? Which is the yeah. deep hurt that we're carrying yeah. around, and the fact that our partners we feel right. like our partners aren't seeing us. But the question is not necessarily how do we force our partners to see us by by showing them how deeply in pain we are by hurting them, but instead figuring out ways to both like comfort ourselves and our own pain. And receive and believe the love that our partners are giving us, even if it's Mm. not in the exact way that we want it, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. You know that your partner said that thing and wasn't being mean, right? You know his perspective. You understand that he was trying to be kind and trying to be helpful in that situation. And instead of saying, that's not exactly what I wanted to hear, but I'm hearing the love behind it. 
you said this wasn't the right thing to say. And so now I'm going to lash out at you because I want you to, I want you to see me in exactly the way Which I want to be seen. Exactly. We all do. When we, you know, yeah. Right. But I think one of the things that I had to learn is that like, I desperately want to be seen in my pain. Absolutely. I think a lot of us do. And I need to trust that people are trying to see me and are trying to tell me that they see me, even if it's in ways that I, that aren't perfectly aligned with how I want them to do it. Yeah. Big life lesson for me. No one is ever going to love me perfectly. No one is ever going to respond to my needs perfectly, but the right ones are going to try really hard and they're still going to fail. They're still going to misstep and they're still going to trigger me. Um, For me, you know, this letter is a lot about identifying toxic patterns and, and disrupting those thought, those patterns. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, one of the things that I see in it that I also had to learn because we're definitely not shown this in like popular depictions of conflict, but uh, I had to unlearn that conflict is not a game with a winner or a loser. Conflict is right. not about a right person and a wrong person. Even if we were a hundred percent wronged, right? Like even if somebody put, you know, did, you know, even in a situation in which you can point to a bad guy and a good guy, right? If mm-hmm. that that's that is a straight up like uh, incompatibility, right? You you wronged me. We're not going to be together. But in relation in in a relationship that you want to sustain, conflict is has has to be at the end of the day about resolution and not just being right or wrong or not just mm-hmm. being um uh vindicated or not, you know? Um, so the next time you have a conflict with your partner or anybody in your life, um, I want you to take a deep breath and say like, this isn't about winning. This isn't about being right or wrong. This is about feeling heard, acknowledging their effort and reaching a resolution. And what is that resolution? Is the re- the resolution can't be they think I'm 100% right <laughs> and they do everything perfectly. That's not what a resolution is, right? Right. Yep. Um <clears throat> I I don't blame you for thinking this way because like I said before, there we don't have a lot of great examples, especially in romantic comedies, in popular media, fucking um the WB shows that I grew up watching, like <laughs> fucking dawson's creek there's no there's For no the young example people, just that's what the cw used to be <laughs> oh my god really i didn't even know <laughs> for the young people that's funny um back in my day <laughs> joey would climb into his window <laughs> no that's right that's right um but there was no good examples of resolute you know there's no good of examples of conflict there's only toxic conflict because toxic let's face it toxic conflict like sam said it's it's passionate it's explosive it's dynamic it makes great tv you know Mm. and like when you make a mistake and your you know on television partner just says like it's okay honey everybody makes mistakes let's come to a resolution you know that's not like quite as juicy as him like you know getting drunk and driving away into the night and not talking to you for six days and then they have to go and find his body and you know (laughs) just like thinking about (laughs) just like making my own television show in my head right now that's what's happening yeah i love it Uh, (laughs) um so i'm not blaming you for this i'm just i am pointing out that like 
our cultural edification of conflict has not been a healthy one at all. Yeah, um, for sure. And we and we're not taught resolution either because, like Sam said before, we're not taught that like sometimes people don't get it. Sometimes people can't, aren't the perfect partner, or like their apology isn't a hundred percent right. And I've talked a lot right. on the show about like my desire to my desire to feel heard and um, understood, and and something I've had to let go of even in my marriage is like um, it doesn't matter if my wife understands where I'm coming from. It matters if she's trying and respects me, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah. And that's like, I love that so much. And I would even like caution against even the word resolution, right? Like I feel Mm, like mm. relationships are about like conflict management, right? Like, I love that. I love that. I feel like resolution implies like we, oh good, we come into agreement and everyone's happy, right? Which is like so often not the case, right? Like it's more of like, like we don't we don't see the same thing. Like we're looking at we are looking at a cloud and you're seeing a bunny and I'm seeing a duck, right? Like doesn't mean that either of us is wrong. It just means that we are yeah. looking at it from a different perspective. Right. And that's really what I think it's about too is like you're probably like con like conflict doesn't end in everyone feeling happy or winning, right? There's one winner, one loser, and everyone comes to accord on the same agreement about this thing and everyone's like fine with right. it. It's like, nope, we're going to disagree. Our perspectives are going to be different. You say something and I hear it this way, even though I know that's not what you meant. And it's about the act of how do we recognize the fact that like we're always going to see things and experience things differently because we're two different people in two different bodies. Right. And how are we learning to be okay with that? He said this thing that you interpreted in a different way. And you also know that that's not what he meant. So like, what is it? How are you recognizing both of those truths at the same time and saying like, oh, you know, that that was a that was kind of upsetting because I heard it this way. I know that's not what you meant. You heard it this way. So like and like offer the opportunity to sort of come closer into alignment without requiring like him to say the exact thing that you want him to say in the exact Mm -hmm. way that you want him to say it. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that that's really what it is, is about sort of managing, managing the fact that we're always going to have different perspectives and experiences managing that in ourselves and managing that in partnership with each other rather than saying like we all need to come into agreement or we all need to sort of be exactly on the same page about what's happening in this situation which is hard because it's hard to say like oh i wish that they had said this thing and i know that they would have if they knew that that's the thing that i wanted them to say (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and that's just life our partners are never going to be perfect they're they don't know us they don't know us the way that we know ourselves. And like, we have to be okay with that. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to touch on is saying those nasty things that you know you regret that you don't really mean. Um, and that is 100% your hurt crying out, right? That is mm-hmm. that is that is our anger and our hurt lashing out for someone to like hug us and hold us and make things better. And to be yep. perfect, really. You know, it, it's truly saying like, I'm going to hurt you so that you feel like Sam said, I'm going to hurt you. So you feel how much I'm hurting. Um, Mm -hmm. But when we talk about emotional maturity, I think the word maturity is like a tricky one because I don't, I am not shaming anyone for being emotionally immature. You know, like I don't think of this as like a human hierarchy of emotional development. I truly think that we're all just on our own timelines and have had different circumstances to, push that growth along in whatever direction, whatever nebulous direction it is. 
But when we talk about emotional maturity, we're not just talking about like the ability to pay your bills on time. We're talking about the ability to manage our emotional responses to things. It's mm-hmm. like we, we as human beings, as like creature animals, don't aren't born with the brakes to press on our emotions, right? Babies, toddlers, teenagers, many adults. <laughs> um, we don't know how to put brakes on our emotions to pause and say, this is what my pain is telling me. This is what my anger is telling me. And, but instead I'm going to pause and give myself the gift of having a reaction, a processed reaction instead of, um, excuse me, a, a processed response instead of that reactionary feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is something that we're going to work on our whole lives, our whole lives, because yet again, we are creatures that, that have these like carnal needs and emotions like, like pain, you know? Um, but in this instance, um, I, I made a promise to myself several years ago that I wasn't going to be in relationships in which I would say things that I regretted because you can't take those things back. And I think one thing that helped me, um, give myself the gift of having a response instead of a reaction is just practicing small, like, um, giving myself time and space, not, not letting myself respond right away, you know, like, cause you know, Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. that first text that you type out is going to be the nastiest one, you know? Oh, hundred percent. Yep. But also increasing, trying, doing little empathy exercises, like, what you said to your boyfriend about you being better than him. Like, how would it feel if he said that to you? Role reversal to increase that empathy. What are you allowing yourself to treat other? How are you allowing yourself to treat others that you would never want to be treated by? And it's just mm-hmm. like simple, simple golden rule shit, right? Like that, that we mm-hmm. learn as children, but like as children, we don't actually know how to apply that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yep. about, practice kind of going back to the first letter the growing out of or into or beyond our toxic traits that we all have is about practice it's not like one day you're going to wake up in the right relationship with the right Mm. person who no longer triggers you you're going to be triggered forever I'm triggered in my happy marriage right I have to check my toxicity at the door or even better yet, I have to bring my toxicity into the conversation, acknowledge it, give it a name, point to it, and then also just like not yeah. let it take up too much space, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my toxicity is 100% a part of my relationship, but we work together as a team to to navigate it differently, you know? And yeah. I think that's, it's just going to be a lifeline journey for you. For sure. Absolutely. And I think too, that that practice of self-awareness as well of, of like when these things come up, when this emotional reactivity comes up, instead of lashing out and going external, focusing on that inside internal as well. So like, like Sierra said, practicing that empathy, but also being like, what, what story am I telling myself about this situation that's making me respond in this way? Mm-hmm. What has, what mm-hmm. wound in me has been ripped open here and what, how do I tend to that and not to the external things around me, right? Like that's, and going beyond that sort of just self-awareness of being like, I know that I'm triggered by this. And so people around me should never trigger me. 
And instead saying, I know that I'm triggered by this. How can I heal the thing that is triggered in this moment? Yeah. Instead of lashing out at the people who have triggered it. Right. Like, yes. And that's that's the work. Like, that's what sucks about it is that, like, it's so much easier to, like, be mad at everyone around us. But, like, the work is to say, like, oh, I have to be responsible and accountable for my emotional reactions to things, even though the harm that was caused to me wasn't my fault. Right. Yeah, Even though that totally. wound wasn't mine to carry, I, it's still mine. And I have to do the work to heal it, even though it's so completely unfair that I have to do that. And like that's that is yeah. the reality of, of what it looks like to be in relationship with people. Yeah. My last note was along those lines of like, you know, I'm not going to tell you if this relationship is right or not. I, I'm so thinking beyond that. I'm thinking right. about your emotional health and your healing and your um, uh, growth as a human being. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I'm invested in that. I believe in that. Um, but my last note for you is I want you to sit and think and journal or whatever you need to do about this statement, which is what taught you who taught you in your life that love looked like this? And mm-hmm. it can be so many things. Like when we, when Sam and I see wounds, it could be a parental relationship. It could be the first love. It could be something as simple as a television program. Uh-huh. I, I, I point <laughs> sure. to a lot of that in my childhood that I taught that like a lot of examples in the media about what of toxic relationships that I thought were normal, you know? So, when we say wound, we don't necessarily mean like capital T trauma, but it could be that as well. But mm-hmm. I want you to think long and hard about like what taught you that this is what love looked like. And this is and this is what getting your needs met looked like, not just mm-hmm. not just like why do we respond to our pain like this, but who or what taught you that this is how you're going to get those needs met because it's your because that equation, even if we believe it, isn't true. We were, we're just working with the tools that we were given, that we either inherited or that we were born with. And this tool is not working. This tool is not going to heal that wound. This tool is not going to get your needs met. It's, it's just going mm-hmm. to continue that toxic cycle, right, that you see. You, you, you acknowledge it yourself. Um, so it's time to, like, name that tool, name where it came from, maybe put a little, like, return label on it <laughs> or retire that tool and and say like, you know what? The next time I feel like hurt by my partner, I know I'll want to lash out to feel heard and seen, but I know that that doesn't really make me feel heard and seen. How can mm-hmm. I react differently this time that will maybe give me the actual thing that I that I'm asking for and deserve. You deserve to feel heard and seen. You deserve to feel comforted. Mm-hmm. But whatever the whatever we however you learn to get that to to get that isn't working. It's not sustainable. Um, but we believe in this. I mean, this is the work that mm-hmm. I've been doing for years, still every day. Um, so none of this is to shame you. And like I said earlier, just to stress, like I really don't believe that there is like an emotional hierarchy. I don't think people who are emotionally mature are better than people who are emotionally immature or people who have X tools are better than people with Y tools. Like mm, I, sure. 
in my soul believe that we're fucking all flawed and all trying and all failing and and that this is our work this is this is what we signed up for whether it's fun or not (laughs) that's real yeah absolutely and i think um just from my experience one of the things that helped me most in sort of understanding and and dealing with this emotional reactivity and understanding more deeply what the wound the narratives that the wound was telling me about how I needed to show up and how other people needed to show up with for me was through therapy. So I would encourage yeah. you also, if you're not in therapy right now, um, to to figure out how to make that happen. Um, because that's a that is one of the other tools that you can use to help to help you along in this journey into yourself around how are you gonna show up in partnership with people in your life. Absolutely. We love you so much and we believe in you. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right. Our final letter is from Tragic Hopefulist, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from the Pacific Northwest. Trigger warning for a schizophrenic episode. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I wrote you two weeks ago about my sweet boyfriend, he, him, having a serious case of the body snatchers due to what I thought was his bipolar disorder episode. While I wanted to rewrite my letter to you after the past 15 days have known more pain and aching than I thought I would ever face in this life. What has been revealed is that my boyfriend and his family hid a schizophrenia diagnosis from me for the past 16 months. He had his first episode about seven years ago and it was violent and lengthy and ended with him hospitalized for 30 days. He has been unmedicated ever since and denied a diagnosis. To say my sweet and safe fabric of reality I had inhabited for 27 years has been ripped from me is an understatement. I took two weeks off of work to research his illness and provide support and help. However, I was able to. I'm the daughter of three psychologists in my family and felt that I was the one suited to take on his care like I was destined to meet him where he's at and love him as is, but feels so in over my head right now. Our story goes like this. My boyfriend and I lived in a perfect, loving, and monogamous bubble during the pandemic. He was unemployed, and I work from home, and we are surrounded by a very hopeful and beautiful pandemic community in a liberal city. He's an incredible chef, wicked smart, a crunchy granola health nut, and we had an amazing sex. I was going to marry this man, and we were looking at moving in together before his schizophrenia episode began. He made me feel seen and loved in ways I only dreamt of. I was and am the luckiest woman in the world to know him. Fast forward to the worst month of my life. And this is day 15 of his episode. And he is nowhere to be found. And when he is found or reaches out, he's incredibly aggressive, violent, and mean. He has spent half of his $50,000 worth of savings in two weeks on God knows what and torments everyone he comes into contact with. I even had to block him due to him saying he would kill me. I feel like I'm dating someone in a coma who is also being a dangerous downright dick. We have exhausted every option for trying to get him help. But because he is 30 years old and independent, he will have to, quote, come out of this episode on his own and then seek help. His family is now resigned to waiting this out due to how aggressive he has been with them. My questions are for you. How do I even begin to mourn this relationship or mourn my life situation? The situation feels so so abnormal and extreme. Like, I don't even know one person who could relate to me on this. People keep telling me to take time for myself 
and focus on my goals or on my own health. I have begun to have panic attacks due to lack of sleep, eating, and stress. But this is such an easy thing to say and a, such a difficult thing to do when I'm worried for his safety and well-being 24-7. Was our relationship ever even real? When he comes out of this, will I still be his girlfriend? When do I even begin dating again? How do I tell someone I'm interested in about my ex-boyfriend being, a, being schizophrenic and watching them shrink away with misunderstanding? I can't even begin to imagine what life will look like for me in the future. I feel so traumatized as if any man I go on a date with may just have a mental breakdown like this and leave me behind to pick up my life where he left it. I entrust my heart and searching with you. My boyfriend is the most beautiful man to walk this earth, and my instinct is to stick with him through it all and to never leave his side. My strong community is mourning this, but 10 out of 10 of my support systems have said that I need to move on and let him sort this illness out on his own with his family. Thank you for listening. Oh, my darling. Um, Just one of those letters that I'm like so deeply moved by our listeners vulnerability and their resiliency um Mm. and that you thought of us in this time is is such a great honor and is deeply intimidating (laughs) and um and meaningful all at the same time to me um Mm. i just i guess i'll just start and say i'm i'm so sorry that you're experiencing this right now. I'm so sorry that your bubble, your reality as you know it has been disrupted in such a traumatic way. And mm. I'm hurting for you. I'm hurting for your boyfriend. And I'm I'm hurting for everyone who loves him um, and, and really hoping he is safe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know what your experience is because I'm not in your body and this, your circumstances are unique to you. Um, and there was a lot in this that was familiar to me in certain ways as well. Um, knowing that I had a sort of similar, my dad went through a similar sort of breakdown near the end of his life, um, where he became somebody who was, um, very different than who he was before that. And in a way where, um, where we felt really unsafe around him and he right. was an unsafe person to himself. Um, and like that particular type of, uh, trauma is, is really intense. Um, and it is something that we don't talk a lot about. And so it feels very isolating to her. At least it felt very isolating for me to go from, knowing that there was this person that everyone loved and who I loved dearly, who was also now um, so different and so hurtful and so um, unsafe to be around or be near or be in communication with. And like that type of rewriting is impossible. (laughs) Like it is, it is so challenging to have to do. And the people around us are so ill-equipped to know how to handle that because it's so something that isn't talked about even though i know that there are other people who are listening to this who are like 
I've, I know what that feels like, or I know what that could feel like. Right. Um, so I just want to say to you that like, of course you're feeling ill-equipped to handle this. Of course you have all these questions. Of course you're feeling isolated. Um, of course you're feeling like nobody understands what you're going through or is giving you stupid advice. Um, of course, of course, of course, of course. This is such a harrowing experience to be going through. It's such a unique type of mourning. It's such a unique type of loss. And it's, it's so deeply traumatic in so many ways to go from this person who you loved and trusted so deeply and saw your future with and was your place of support and is now threatening you with violence. Um, and to know that that person isn't the person, right? Like it's still the same person. It's still the same body. It's still the same, whatever. And they are so completely different than the person that you fell in love with, even though we know that they're the same person that that, like, I get it. Like, and also being like, and I recognize that this is his mental illness and also it's his mental illness in his body who is doing these things to me. Right. Like Like this body, all of that is just like, it's all, none of it makes sense. And it is horrifying and awful. And I just want to, I want to validate the feelings that you're experiencing and saying like, you're not handling this poorly. You're not, you're not ill-equipped. I mean, you are ill-equipped, but we would all be ill-equipped to handle the situation. (laughs) And you are, there's no good way to handle this, right? There's no right way to handle this. There's no textbook. There's no instructions. It's just messy and awful and horrible. And I'm so sorry that you are going through it and that you don't feel like you have the tools to be able to even know what the next step is. Yeah. I was thinking how, how this is such a situation that requires grief, but how, what a troubled grief it is, because like you said, this is, it's like, like the metaphor that you use of having a, being in a relationship with somebody who's in a coma, like this psychosis Mm -hmm. is, technically temporary but also how do you separate the present from an imagined future or from those revered memories of the past like this is just so sticky and so complicated and i don't like sam said you know your well-meaning friends saying like move on i don't know if i could right now i don't know Mm. if i could until like i feel like your partner's in this episode in the psychosis and you are too sort of you've been taken here and and there's feels like there's no relief no pause um and don't get me wrong i'm like the first person to say like you deserve happiness like you know clean break whatever but this this goes above and beyond challenging (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um this is just one of those life experiences in which grief isn't quite as simple as as saying I'm going to grieve this and move on. This is feels impossible. Like Sam said, Mm -hmm. this feels impossible. It does. It does feel impossible. And I think even though I think that your friend's advice wasn't necessarily that helpful. Right. And it's not mean, right. They're, they're trying (laughs) the best that they can. And that's one thing that I also had to learn about this type of situation is that like the people around you are trying the best that they can, even though the things that they say to you are like, Nope, that's not it. (laughs) So like, Um, and I think, but I do think that in this moment too, um, 
that your concern and worry and and fretting about him can also coexist as you are taking care of yourself too, right? Like Mm. those aren't necessarily things that are at odds with each other. And I don't think, I think that what maybe your friends are implying or maybe what you heard is that like, oh yes, move on, focus on my own goals. Like, don't let this bother me. Like, I'm just going to be super peaceful about this. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be healed. Right. And that's not really what I experienced in this situation. And I think probably a lot of people who have experienced some sort of really big emotional upset is that it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to be super peaceful and not worry about this, but it's like, yep, I'm going to be worried and anxious and panicky about this. And I'm going to make sure that I eat lunch. Right. Like, yeah. I'm going to be really upset and I'm going to cry in bed for hours at a time. And I'm going to make sure that I'm going for a walk and getting out of the house. Right. Like both of those things can exist at the same time. And I think one of the most amazing things that my therapist said to me after my dad died was um, I was sort of talking to her about my experience of like, I need, I just wish that this would make sense. I wish that there was something big that I could learn from this. And she was like, Sam, this is not a time of self-growth. This is a time mm. of self-maintenance. And that was I that is exactly what I needed to hear. You are going through a distinct type of trauma, a very big yeah. moment that I think is going to be something that you're going to to have carry with you for a very long right. time. And so the goal here isn't to suddenly become a better person and become like super zen and peaceful about all of the stuff that's happening, but instead to figure out how you're going to get to the next day in a way that that's going to support you, right? Like how are you going to hold what's happening to you and make sure that you sleep, right? Like literally just like, how are you going to preserve your body and mind to get to tomorrow? Um, And I think that's the type of taking care of yourself in quotes that, that I would recommend to you is not like do mandalas and like become super, um, enlightened with yourself, but like, what are you doing to take care of the body that you're in to support yourself, to give yourself enough time and space to handle this and recognize that like your job right now isn't to become some enlightened person, but your job right now is just to figure out yeah. what, what the next hour looks like or the next day looks like. Yeah. And honestly, you know, before I said this is impossible, I'm speaking specifically to this mid crisis feeling this mid-crisis life experience like sam said this is Mm -hmm. a time of maintenance this is not a time this might not even be a time for healing you know this is a time of of maintenance of taking a shower every (laughs) three days you know of eating a meal for every meal um but i do want to say i want to make space for mental illness in relationships because it is i i don't have any lived experience with schizophrenia so i just want to say that as a caveat i'm not expert i don't i don't know this is not coming from a research point of view, but I do understand, or I have a, I have a vague understanding that it is possible to date, um, to 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 date happily and help and and have a healthy relationship with schizophrenia. I mean, with somebody as somebody with schizophrenia or with a partner with schizophrenia, and so there's there's two ways of looking at this situation for me. Sam and I are talking to you right now in crisis, dealing with the trauma that this episode has caused. This very real, present, everyday, getting to the next day sort of shit, right? And mm-hmm. hope and hoping, God, fucking praying that your partner does too, right? Because we know you are not what's going to fix this right now. 
You are not mm. what's going to heal or save him right now. Right. Um, and then the other way of looking at it, or like the, the next thing is, this episode is going to end one day, and hopefully your partner will be safe. Hopefully your partner will not require extreme medical care, right? And, and hopefully your partner will be in a position and, or a life path in which he is able to accept help from professionals for this and that his family will no longer deny this or whatever. I can't speak to your boyfriend. I can't speak to what it's like. I'm just, I'm just speculating. Um, but I didn't want to answer this letter without saying, you know, cause we might have schizophrenic listeners, right? We might have mm-hmm. people who, who have to navigate this whole other terrain in their romantic relationships. And I don't think it is a death sentence. I don't think it is a negator of it. I don't think it negates the possibility for intimacy and romance and, and whatnot. Sure. And that, and I think it's important to say while acknowledging that there was some deceit there, you know, that he, he and his family kept this diagnosis from you. Um, the love that you had before is very much real was very real, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what happens in a schizophrenic episode, the trauma that that was enacted upon you was 100% real. And also, your boyfriend was not in control, right? That 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 is That was not the partner that you had, you know what I mean? So there, and that is also another reason why this feels impossible and sticky and, 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 and literally just so hard to process. I, I want, I wish I could just like pick up your heart and like carry it around for a while. Just like give it a break (laughs) because Mm. even though that sounds very morbid (laughs) and bloody, um, (laughs) Uh but you know, you're carrying and processing so many impossible contradicting things right now as, as Sam did, you know, when his father passed and, um, and as Sam knows more than me, like how deeply bone exhausting that is, you know? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I'm i not trying to say this in a romantic, a romanticism way, but like, I don't know what this means for your relationship. And maybe that's all I need to say as the unprofessional, unqualified person. I don't know what this means for your relationship. and But I do know that what's happening right now isn't a per- isn't personal to you, right? Even though it is your personal experience, even though this trauma is real, and that you're going to require serious healing, and and a shift in your lived experience and lived perspective after this, right? You are going to be changed, but he is not personally doing this to you on purpose. Does that sure. make sense? I, I think I'm speaking yeah. hesitantly because because of my lack of experience. Um, but I at least wanted to approach this subject because I'm sure we have people who listen to us who have been diagnosed and have to navigate that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there is the possibility of, of healing through this together. Um, and that's going to have to look a certain type of way. It is also, yeah, at least in my experience, okay for you to say, I don't want to be with the person who threatened to kill me, right? Like right, I can right. recognize that I, I don't that know was if I not could get him, over that. Right? But that's that was the those were words coming out of his body, right? And I have all the empathy yeah. and compassion and support and recognize that, that he was not 
he was not it met well at that time um and that's like i think that's an okay line to draw on the sand and i think that that's really what we're getting at here is that like yeah i don't know what your relationship with this person is going to look like in the future i don't know what that process is going to look like and feel like for you i don't know how you're going to talk to other people about it um and like right now in this moment the important thing is to find ways to to do the basic maintenance that you need to do to keep moving forward, right? Those questions yeah. that you're asking can be answered can at some wait. point and they mm-hmm. will be answered yes. at some yes, point. Yes, Absolutely. Yes, yes. And it will take work and it will take support from other people. Um, and like all you can control right now is yourself and how you are supporting yeah. and taking care of yourself in this moment. And like that sucks because I wish I could tell you here's the five easy, easy things to help somebody come out of a psychotic or a schizophrenic episode, I don't have those things. And I don't think those things yeah. exist. And right. so like and, all and we can do you. is what's available mm-hmm. to us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think this is a perfect opportunity of reminding us that like um, empathy can coexist with accountability or, or the idea that like um, everyone deserves a loving relationship. Everyone deserves that. Right. But not everyone mm-hmm. is for us. So like Sam said, and I said, we don't know what this is going to mean for you, but um, it is okay to, it's okay if this is, you can't see this life that you had with him again. It's okay if you can't get back there, but I, right now we want you to stay present, you know, don't be thinking about dates that you're going to go on in a couple of months, you know, with people that don't exist yet. Stay present about what, how can you support yourself right now? Keep that I know anxiety is high right now and anxiety wants us to go into all the unknowns. But right now I want to know, what are you eating today? What do you, what do you want to accomplish today? Even if it's a small thing, who are you reaching out to for support from? Um, Who's checking in on you? Um, And what are you doing right now to make yourself feel a tiny bit better today? Right. Um, Stay in the present moment, even though, even though it's really hard. Absolutely. And I think that thing that you talked about, how it feels so isolating to to sort of not like, how do you talk about this? Um, your friends haven't experienced this. That's absolutely right. Um, so I would encourage you also to look at the National Association of Mental Health or Mental Illness website, N-A-M-I, NAMI.org. Um, they have local chapters across the United States. So I'm sure that there are some in the Pacific Northwest as well. And they have resources for folks who are caregivers and loved ones of people who are having significant yes, mental so health issues. And they also have support groups for people who are friends, parents, loved ones, family members of people who are having significant mental health issues. And um, my experience is that talking to people who have also seen loved ones go through this similar things or things that are related to mental illness is helpful because it is such an isolating feeling of being like no one else has done this. And to realize that there are thousands of people out there who have loved ones who are having similar situations or situations that are um, as challenging and knowing that, that we're not sort of alone in that is helpful. So um, that's NAMI, N-A-M-I.org and find, find support from your local chapter there. I, I couldn't endorse that more. All right, my darling, we love you. We hope we made this just 
5%, 1% lighter. Um, and we know, we know you can make it through this in whatever way that manifests. We love you. Thank you so much for writing. All right. This brings us to the blind date segment of the episode. Every show, we want to shout out something we love to send you home with. This week, we're setting you up with... A podcast called Invisibilia, which I have also done as a blind date before, but uh, they have a new season that is coming out and it's all about friendships, um, which I absolutely love because Sierra and I have talked about friendships being one of those relationships that can be sort of really complicated because our definitions of friendship, our expectations of friendship are often so different from person to person and experience to experience. And there's a lot of baggage that comes with friendships and there's a lot of... um, a lot of expectations of ourselves that come with it. And this episode or this season has been super interesting in sort of unpacking some of the stuff around friendship. Um, And what I love about Invisibilia is that it is like well-researched, but also very human centered. So there's a lot of really great interviews, but they also like talk to people who have studied friendships for a very long time. They, and they also tell individual stories. Like it's just very good sort of storytelling Um, The first episode is about ghosting in friendships, um, which is great. It's like something that I never talked about, but have experienced, right? (laughs) Of like, yeah, for sure. There are friends that we just sort of ghost or we like fall, we fall by the wayside of our friendship and what those experiences are like and like friend breakups. It's like all just very interesting and very, um, very connected to the stuff that we talk about on this podcast. So if you are like Sierra and I and love relationships and thinking about and talking about relationships, Um, This most recent season of Invisibilia, uh, the third season, is all about friendships and those types of relationships. So it's been really great. I love that. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and also TikTok at Just Break Up. Pod. Pod. (laughs) <laughs> there it is. Yeah. You can slide into our DM, send us your favorite relation memes, memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. If you have not seen them already, Sam and I debuted a new like video series on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook where we answer just breakups like most frequently asked questions in like three minute videos. I'm so proud of them. I love the content. Um, and we would be so deeply, deeply grateful if you would share them. If you like them, watch them, share them, um, help spread the good news of Just Break Up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, please remember to subscribe, follow, give a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, and also consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode that's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing, managing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis. Make sure to check out his music on Spotify under the name Big Cats. And remember, you right now as is You are not a burden. You are not broken. You are not a mistake. You are not a hassle. You're a human being who is growing and learning and trying and inevitably failing and making mistakes. That doesn't mean you are undeserving of love, patience, friendships, support, 
you are worthy of all of these things right now as unfinished or unpolished or broken as you are. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>